Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books and Biography, I'm Oline Eaton. 48 years after his death, Malcolm X remains a controversial figure. However, Malcolm X, A Life of Reinvention, the biography written by the late Manning Marable and the winner of the 2012 Pulitzer Prize for History, seeks to reframe Malcolm's legacy and to position him as one of America's greatest advocates for social change. Today I'm going to be speaking with Manning Marable's editors, Wendy Wolf and Kevin Doughton, about Malcolm X, A Life of Reinvention. So Manny Marable worked on Malcolm X, A Life of Reinvention for 20 years. When did it first come to your attention? Manning walked in, this is Wendy Wolf, and Manning walked into my life um, about 10 years ago, about eight or 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, he had spent a decade immersed in Malcolm's life, Malcolm's material, documenting, collecting his archive, creating what was known as the Malcolm X project and he finally decided it was time to commit to writing a book um so he and i sat together for hours uh in that initial meeting talking about mutual friends talking about malcolm talking about history and real and i realized at that moment that this was a once in a lifetime time opportunity that here was one of the great um unbiographed fully unbiographed uh lives of the 20th century and here was the only person who was going to have total access to this. So we signed the book up and I worked with Marit Manning over the next six years. Kevin came on the project about yep. two years ago. Yep. And he showed up with the 700, about seven, 800 pages. And <laughs> walked in with many, many, many pages. When did he, he get into the, in the early speculative phase? And then I was here and we were both here for the reality of it, and which was, which was, which is, uh, was, really a lot of fun it was a lot of fun because manning, manning is so much fun manning was just so much fun to work with uh, he was a he was he managed to be both a towering scholar um and an incredible teacher and a committed activist and he he wasn't the kind of scholar who lives in the ivory tower he utterly lived in the real world yeah. and that's why he connected to malcolm so well because malcolm was a man who turned out to have a towering intellect but also was profoundly pragmatic and yeah. thought no thought that was unconnected to the reality of black America in the 1950s and the 1960s. So Manning was able to draw on his own activism and his own commitment to bringing Malcolm's story to the widest possible readership. And that was what we helped him do. I read somewhere that he accumulated a massive chronology before he really started writing during his years of research, which the is something <laughs> something that biographers love, but it's kind of an unseen thing for the public at large. Can you talk a bit about that? Sure. Uh, Manning had uh, Manning was fortunate. I mean, he, he was uh, fortunate, but also he attracted he attracted great students because he was such a fantastic teacher and such a fantastic historian. Uh, and and over the years, he developed. A chronology of a documented chronology of Malcolm's life that essentially pinned down almost every day of his some of his childhood and his mature adulthood in terms of where he was, 
every he day, was, sometimes yeah, every hour. What he was doing and the documentation that, that, that had you know the information about it. And it resulted in this in this document that I've seen, which is sort of the proto-biography, which is uh, a, about an inch and a half thick of eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper, double-sided with a spreadsheet that just contiguous that goes day by day through Malcolm's life. And this was just the raw material. And, and it was very, very impressive. Um, and then of course that is just, you know, just that is really is your bare bones and, and Manning's genius and, and, and what he was so great at was taking his vast, vast knowledge of just about every historical context in which you could situate Malcolm's life. And then, integrating or beginning the work of integrating the data right the man this the life story of the man with the those themes and that was something that we worked with him on a lot over the course of this was was which themes how broad do they need to be how big what's what's the shape of the world that this book needs to present and how much information do people in the 21st century need to understand the 20th right. century. How much can we assume? Do we know anybody knows who Marcus Garvey was anymore? Has anybody heard of the LA riots? How many people have heard of Elijah Muhammad? Yeah. People who in the 60s were common names have fallen out of common currency. So right. we didn't want to leave any reader behind, but we also didn't want to overwhelm the reader with so much information. You neither want to give Malcolm's life and as I call it real time which is he went here he went there you know that's you know that's only of moderate interest but you also don't want to lose Malcolm in the morass of detail about Malcolm's world so Kevin and I worked with Manning on striking the right balance between a monumental biography and a profoundly insightful history yeah so how long, so how long did it take him to, take to write the to book write the to go from to go the from chronology to the 800 pages I think you probably wrote the thing in about eight years. Eight years, I would say, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't say he worked every day for eight years, but I think he started – I started seeing chapters yeah. at least, um, I would say, 2008, something like that. that. Yeah, that early. Um, I probably saw half a dozen chapters. So he was working you know, flat out now. Manning also lost some time um, with illness. Yeah. And so there were some months where he couldn't work. But there was never a month – there was never a moment when he wasn't thinking about this book yeah. or continuing to do research or tracking down that last interview or that last piece of documentation uh, to fill in that last gap. Um, and he'd call us up. Yeah. You know, he, I mean, up until the time when practically the book was printed, saying, oh, I've just gotten, you know, I've just found out that X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And so his own uh, enthusiasm never, never diminished. Never went. It's never true. went. What challenges did you face in paring down the 800 pages to the 492 that we have to make it readable? Adjusting the margins. <laughs> Type size has a lot to do with it. <laughs> Extremely small spaces. Extremely small spaces. Um, Every college student trick. The, 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 part, part of it was, um, you know, again, sort of talking about how, how, do, how do events reveal character? How do events reveal themes, right? And sort of, okay, well, if we have, you know, it was basically looking at when, when there were a number of different things that would happen in a day or there would be a number of different things that would happen <clears throat> in the course of a particular sub-story of Malcolm's life, whether it was, you know... <clears throat> Something he was trying to to get 
to happen with the Nation of Islam or whether it was um, a debate or something like this. It would be a matter of just sort of, okay, well, which, which of the examples that we have here are the, are, are the best, best illustrate what we're sort of trying to talk about here. We don't need 30 meetings. <laughs> you know, we just need on the same thing. We need the one or two that, that are the gems that sort of are the ones that really emerge, that give you story, that give you character. And, you know, and, and, and people will assume people can, people can understand that, that there were probably many more meetings about this, but this is, this is the, the ones that are most sort of representative of it. So that's how you get from 800 to 500 in some ways. And the other, and the other thing is that we, he had, you know, a blessing of documentation, uh, for the end of Malcolm's life right. between the FBI taping him. Yeah. So, you know, it's not so good for, you know, your, for your personal freedom, but extremely him, good yeah. for historiography. Following him everywhere. When they and then him. one of, uh, Manning's great discoveries were, Malcolm's diaries, his travel diaries from his trips to Africa. So right. he literally knew what he did every day. Yeah. He knew what who he ate every meal with. He knew when he took time off right. to go postcard shopping or to buy souvenirs for Betty. Yeah. Now, that's all useful to the it's not all profoundly no. interesting to the reader. We don't need to know he had eggs. We didn't need to know he had eggs. <laughs> so we talked about which were the meetings that were important, where we should pull back and simply say, yeah. then he went to Ghana for a yeah. week and call it a day. And those are the kind of decisions that editors make with, with any biographer, you no. know, about, about what's foreground, what's background, um, what's the most useful exemplar of something that he did many, many, many times. Yeah. Frankly, I always think it's I, – to, to me, I don't know if Wendy feels the same way as an editor. I always – I would prefer to cut than to get something that's thinner where you sort of – you know, you well, need to – I really think you and I, I feel differently We, we can't put in what God left out. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, to, to, to have to coax somebody into ideas – is tough. Manning never lacked for ideas. Never. And no. he never lacked for ideas and insights about Malcolm. Sometimes he would think that things were so obvious they didn't need to be put down. And we'd say, no, no, no I think you need to tell the world. Yes, the book shrank and grew at the same time. Yes. That's, that's actually a pretty good, accurate assessment right. of how it... It shrank in chronology, but, it, but I think it grew in insight. Yeah. An insight on the page. Um, one of the things I really appreciated was how he really puts the autobiography in the right historical context, but also the context of, of including Haley in that and what he was, his agenda was with writing it. Um, how much, how difficult was that to get that to come across throughout the, the whole book? Well, the, but the autobiography yeah. is, a, is a very useful document. Yeah. I mean, okay. you know, it's, it's an amazing book. A fantastic and, book. Yeah. And I recommend it to everybody. You know, you should read this, you read the autobiography, but you might want to start reading Manning first. Um, so it's useful. I mean, you, as you can see, Wembrook, we drew heavily on it for, yeah. Malcolm's own observations about his own life. Yeah. But the more important role that Manning played was to put Alex Haley into the picture as well yeah. and say Alex Haley was a man with a very specific agenda. Right. And he had the opportunity once Malcolm died to um, – excuse me, the phone's ringing, yeah. but I don't think it's for us. Yeah. Uh, Alex Haley had the opportunity um, to – shape Malcolm's story according to Alex Haley's agenda, according to Alex Haley's Republican, Nixonian, integrationist agenda, and to suggest very strongly that that was the direction that Malcolm was heading into the end of his life. And I think Manning said, au contraire, yeah. uh, there's no evidence from what yeah. I know now about where he was the rest of about Malcolm's life that that's where right. he was going. And the other, the other side of that coin, interestingly enough, is that, don't forget, Malcolm's 
Malcolm had a very difficult split with the Nation of Islam at the end of 1963 into the beginning of 1964. Now, he had been in the habit of working with Haley on the autobiography, just going over to Haley's apartment and, and, and just they would have these, these long sessions where Malcolm would talk and they'd go back and forth. But remember that Malcolm originally, and I think this is one of the things that Manning points out, the reason that Malcolm exaggerated his criminal exploits in the autobiography is because he wanted this to be a conversion narrative he, about the nation of Islam. He wanted to create a book where Elijah Muhammad was a, sort of at the, at the, at the center of, of the, this spiritual figure for him and that he had this terrible – that Malcolm had this, this difficult, troubled life of crime and that sort of through the grace of Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam, he was converted and he was changed. Now in late 63, early 64 – it was becoming very clear that Elijah Muhammad was going to kick Malcolm out of the, of the Nation of Islam and that that relationship that they'd had was deteriorating and falling apart. But then in 1964, Malcolm, after Malcolm leaves the Nation of Islam, he's out of the country. He's out of the country for most of the spring and then he's out of the country for months in the fall. So he's not having these sessions with Haley anymore and he never really gets to change in a way – that picture. So he never gets to insert he never, his own he, 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 attitudes like, into the trajectory. And so Haley then has a kind of a canvas that he can build for it's, himself. It's, and, it's, and so you get this pre-split Malcolm for, for the most part in that mm-hmm. book. And that's not who Malcolm was by the, time he, by the time he was assassinated. He was on a different path. He was changing. He was going to different places. But he didn't get to finish the book himself. Haley did. I think that is obviously the title is A Life of Reinvention. That's one of the things that really comes across is that this was a person who was just constantly changing. Um, was that difficult as a biographical subject? Did Marable struggle with, with this kind of chameleon-like figure that he was working with? Well, I think it makes Malcolm much more interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's nothing, nothing more boring than somebody who finishes up the way they start, you know? Um, I think one of the, uh, <laughs> one of the um, things I've wondered about that word reinvention, because we've talked a lot about it, is that it makes it sound as if Malcolm was calculating and manipulating and taking on new persona the way a rock star might, you know, taking on passing fashions, you know, and just to try them out. And as, and as much as he does shift and change his persona, it is also a life of education and a life of self-education so that he is reinventing himself based on the information that he has acquired in his last persona. So even though he walks out of school at 14, he is always learning and he is someone with a profound intelligence and a profound ability to synthesize information and to change his mind and to, and to shift gears. And that's not always a calculate. I mean, that's not always a kind of a, uh, uh, you know, that's not always a bad thing, you know? I know that one of the problems with the earlier biographies was the lack of sources. Uh, how did Mr. Marable circumvent this? Well, one of the things he doggedly. did doggedly, he yeah. he didn't give up, and he was able to because of because of Manning's own character and his own his uh, reputation, reputation mm-hmm. and his uh, his authenticity and his commitment. He was able to get a variety of people, starting with Louis Farrakhan, yeah. to open up to him. 
So he did long interviews with Farrakhan. Hours long interviews. Hours long interview with Farrakhan. Um, He got uh, the Nation of Islam to turn over documentation to him. He got the FBI files. I mean, it's, you know, that's no easy thing. They they filed a ton of FO Freedom of Information Act requests. He finally got those out of the FBI. He got documentation from the New York City Police Department um, about the, about, the assassination. He got the police officer who was wiretapping Malcolm and listening in to, to to speak on the record about it. I mean, there's it really it really is is exhausting, and it's it's all the more impressive in the fact that a lot of people still don't want to talk about it even forty years later. You know, it's 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 not uh, it's not easy to 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 get people to talk about this in some in some weird way i think there's probably a lot of things about the 60s that are like this a lot of people just closed a psychological or emotional door behind it at a certain point it was like i just i can't reopen that and and, think- uh, and the and the and the flip side of that is the number of people who stepped in once malcolm was dead to embrace him for their own reasons yeah. and to project their own needs and their own fantasies onto what malcolm either was or what they thought he would have been so a lot of people are invested in seeing malcolm in a certain way. Families invested in seeing him in a certain way. And Manning had to skate between all these different ideas and say, let's see who Malcolm really was. And I think the result is a three-dimensional picture of Malcolm, warts and all. And the other thing that Manning had to do was come to terms with his own um, unhappiness with certain decisions Malcolm made and certain actions Malcolm took and certain attitudes Malcolm had and say, I don't approve of all of these things, but to hold on to the really important parts of Malcolm that Manning so admired and so wanted to communicate in this book that Malcolm was so passionately devoted to the cause of black Americans and to their culture and to their specific culture and to their place in American history. And Manning had an equal commitment to that so that he was able to show Malcolm's big mistakes, but also communicate why Malcolm matters to America. You mentioned his mistakes. Were there any in particular that really troubled Mr. Marable? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Malcolm's, uh, Malcolm's meetings with the with the Ku Klux Klan uh, were 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 some of the big ones, and I, I Manning felt very strongly about that. That you know that that had been a mistake, uh, and he call, and he calls Malcolm to task for it in the book, and uh, and I remember talking with him about that specific those passages and 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 really uh, you know feeling the force of what Manning wanted to say and and, and to and to really sit out there and and figuring out how uh, how best to sort of put it out there. And what was interesting about even about that. And I think the reason that that Manning sort of further understood it in a, a certain way is that you know Malcolm had these meetings with the the the, the KKK, and then Elijah Muhammad had also embraced uh, George Lincoln Rockwell, who was the the founder of the American Nazi Party. So there was some some pretty unsavory stuff. But you, I think Manning points out also in the book sort of how embarrassed Malcolm became. Uh, by these associations and how much he how much he eventually came to regret them. And I think what's interesting about that is, in terms of the larger arc of Malcolm's life, is he was only mildly interested in in dealing with these people when when the idea of splitting off or uh, when when sort of self segregation defined the ideas and the nation of Islam wanted sort of a separate, you know, a, a sort of a separate plot of land or a separate, and they, they were all about sort of separatism. But once Malcolm, the, as his, as he grew and learned and changed, once Malcolm came to realize that separatism was just a dead end, I mean, 
I think I think that that's sort of the point at which he sort of realizes there was never any sort of like love there, or like that. And, and and Manning treats that whole part of Malcolm's life so honestly, uh, and, and as a, as both a, a person and a historian that I think it's 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 a it's a powerful sort of subsection of the book. There's a line in Manning's introduction um, <clears throat> when he's talking about his own journey on this book, and he yeah. said. Um, Unlike any, many other leaders, Malcolm had – and I'm just reading from the book now. Malcolm had the courage to admit his mistakes yeah. and to seek out and apologize to those he had offended. Even when I have disagreed with him, I deeply admire the strength and integrity of his character and the love he obviously felt toward the African-American people and their culture. And that, that sums it up. Yeah. You know, that, that sums up the, what powers the book. Uh, when the book was released, as typically happens, the press kind of zeroed in on some of the more scandalous things, uh, and there was a lot of, of thirty six. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of attention focused on. I think I think it was reduced to the fact that that Maribel was claiming that Malcolm was gay, which is not what it was at all. Uh, but can you discuss this a bit? Well, let's for the for the record, yeah. never nowhere anywhere in this book. Or in any conversation with Manning Marable, did he ever say, I think Malcolm was gay? No. <laughs> what he documents, and he's actually not the first, mm. is that when, Ma- when Malcolm was a young man at loose ends in Chicago, Chicago, right? Boston. In Boston. Boston, Chicago. <laughs> in Boston. Kevin can actually recite the book. <laughs> Why don't you tell the story? <laughs> no, I, I, so, so, so basically, um, yeah, well, as Wendy start, you know, start is, is is a good one. Um, yeah, he was kicking around at loose ends in Boston. He was involved to some extent in drugs. He was involved to some extent in petty crime, and he entered into this relationship where he sort of worked as a, a kind of aide or assistant to uh, to a rich man. Uh, or a, a somewhat rich man. I don't think he was even fantastically rich. Richer and, than Malcolm. Yeah, and it's it, and it appears to have involved a kind of uh, s- certain sexual favors or certain certain like a, a kind of sexual involvement that seems very service oriented in a in a certain way, um, not passionate or not anything like that. And you know, I think I think Manning points out this story and seems suggests that. There was nothing else in Malcolm's life that ever seems to communicate that after this period that 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 he ever sort of had any sort of homosexual involvement with with anyone, uh, and that this seems to be a fairly just limited thing in his life—a a fair, not necessarily like a one-time occasion, but it happened in a small period of his life. And you do what that, you have to do, and then it was over. To get by, you know, but it, it's there, and and it's it's mm-hmm. part of his life, and. Mm-hmm. And, just, it's, and it's part of it's part of who he was no. before he goes into prison. No. So you know you can't you know history is not served by leaving things out. No. You know it's served by saying this is part of who he was, and we have to deal with that, no. and we have to fold that into our complete understanding of no. him. So that's you know. That's about as far as the prurient interest I think extends. Uh, it, you know, we, we we were I mean we sort of expected it, but we were also. You know, there's so many things. The, the 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 missing Africa travel diaries. There, there's just so much good stuff in this book. It's <laughs> like nobody got the other. Nobody's ever. Yeah, and and, and just, just the response to it in a certain way. It was like keep reading. There's so much better. There's there's great stuff. In this. Well, there's all, there's other stuff to be angry about, which is yeah. including the fact that the man who who uh, pulled yeah. the trigger on Malcolm. Yeah. Is, is living a perfectly so normal, happy life across the river in New Jersey and yeah. has never once been even arrested for this crime. So, you know, 
That brings Those... us to my next question, which was to talk about the, <laughs> the forensic work that Marable did at the end of the book about the, the assassination. Well, one of Manning's great hopes, and I, I, I'm afraid that there are too many vested interests against this happening, was that the publication of this book would spark the reopening of the investigation into what actually happened the day that Malcolm was killed. Yeah. Because it was so clear so quickly that there was a profound cover-up, yeah. and there were so many institutional forces invested in keeping the real story out of the news, and whether it was the FBI, the New York Police Department, and the um, Nation of Islam, an unholy trio if ever there was one. Yeah. Um, and they scotched the story. So three men were arrested, three men were tried, three men were sent to prison. Um, Only one of them been guilty. Yeah, one of them was guilty and the other two were not. And um, there have been some um, there have been some efforts to reopen the case, but uh, there are just too many pretty halting. And there are too many people yeah. who don't want to ever hear another word about the assassination of Malcolm X, yeah. and have and particularly the New York Police Department who do not want to have this story brought back into open again. So, sadly. <laughs> so, how were Malcolm X and Mr. Marable alike? Well, you know, I mean, Manning, along with being a, a fantastic historian, had, had, a, had a long tradition of activism. Uh, I think that was one of the lenses through which he saw Malcolm. I think it was an incredibly useful lens. I think it was something that helped Manning probably understand why Malcolm almost every day got on a plane and went somewhere different to, to talk about the nation of Islam at first, to talk about his broader ideas about Islam, to talk about the black community, talk about all of these things. Um, and why, you know, Malcolm eventually came to realize that non-engagement was, was non-viable and, and, and eventually was beginning to, to partner with different groups and beginning to get involved in ways that he, that he hadn't before. I think, I think Manning understood that calling for change, and I think that that was an important component uh, of what allowed him in some ways to get, to get inside Malcolm's head. And I think they both completely understood and surrendered themselves to the fact that this was an unending chore, that you could never say you were done. You could never do enough. You could never talk to enough people. You could never grab enough students by the collar and say, go forth. You know, you just, it just was a job that was never going to be finished and it was going to uh, require endless energy. And I think he recognized that in himself and he certainly recognized that in Malcolm. Uh, Mr. Marable died three days before the book's publication, but he did receive a copy of it, right? Absolutely. He he saw the book. He held the book. He appreciated the book. He thanked us for the book. And we we were also able to thank him. I think that was important to both of us. We spoke spoke to him uh, the day he received the book. I still remember how how overjoyed he was. Um, So, yeah, it was... um, It it doesn't make it any less heartbreaking that we're here talking and he's not. Exactly. How do you think the book has changed our view of Malcolm X? Well, first of all, I think he's put it back on the table. I don't think anybody had been talking about Malcolm X since since Spike. Um, and I think it has made people realize why Malcolm matters yep. in American history, that he wasn't a – he wasn't an aberration, but he also – that he ha- – let's see if I can put this. Um, he moved the dialogue. Yep in an important way. And he put ideas out there about America and about black America that we are still trying to sort out. Yeah. He, I mean, he was the, the, what he, what he did in terms of, in terms of Africa, in terms of changing 
the civil rights problem in America to try and change it into a human rights problem at the United Nations. Uh, the fact that he was, I mean, essentially a, a kind of hero in Africa and was received by heads of state uh, th- throughout throughout the, the continent. I mean, you, you start to get to some things where you're looking at the beginning of a, a different way of understanding a certain certain kind of is, is look at Islam. So it, it's it's there's he, he's relevant. It's relevant not just in the in, in the sort of political aspects, but sort of in the global aspects as well and religious. And I think the other thing is that it's all too easy. I mean, I certainly grew up with a very simplistic understanding of Malcolm and, and King as yeah. a kind of devil and a saint. And, you know, one is black and the other is white and the one is angry and violent. The other is kind and open minded and generous. And of course, neither are true. And as as Taylor Branch has come to show us about about King, I think Manning can show us about Malcolm, that they were both very complicated humans. They were both tremendously important to American history, but they were humans with their vulnerabilities and their assets and their liabilities. And. They both had huge roles to play in the world that we live in today. I agree. I think one of the things that actually has become relevant, I think, weirdly enough, is that there is, uh, you know, not not to be wonky about it, but especially what Malcolm understood about class is, is sort of exists throughout this book in ways that I think are really interesting and really relevant to our to our particular moment and the kinds of things that even within sort of the, the, the larger black community that he was dealing with, the elements of class that created complications, that created divisions, and that sometimes helped and sometimes hindered the progress that I think he was trying to make. I've been speaking today with Wendy Wolf and Kevin Doughton about Manning Marable's Malcolm X, A Life of Reinvention, the winner of the 2012 Pulitzer Prize for History, which is now out in paperback. I'm Oline Eaton. This is New Books and Biography. Thanks for listening.